we're still in the pioneering stages of all this. And when code equals money and when you know, your, your money is theoretically locked up in these contracts, they're only as, you know, the other thing that we say is like, you're only as strong as your weakest line of code. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. Uh, you got me running this one solo. Santi's taking this one off. He's traveling today. Uh, we are joined by Rob and Steven of Halborn. Uh, welcome, guys. How you doing? Howdy, howdy. Uh, Rob, man, this is, uh, I was joking before, this is a long, t- long time in the making. Uh, I, last, I think the first time we ever spoke, you had two employees, which you uh, duly noted out was just you and, you and Steven. So uh, congrats on everything, man. How, how, how big is uh, Halborn these days? Uh, last time, I think we're about 140 now, um, globally distributed around the world. We have about a third of our people are based in the United States. A third of our people happen to be in Spain and then another third definitely distributed throughout the, you know, kind of throughout the globe. Nice. Awesome guys. Um, so just for context, for folks who don't know Halborn, um, Steven CTO, Rob, your CEO, both co-founders, you guys announced this $90 million series a, uh, in the summer. Summit Partners, uh, Castle Island, uh, DCG, I think it was, Brevin, Third Prime, Sky Vision, Fenwick. Um, you guys have hundreds of clients, I'm pretty sure at this point. Um, and to my, no- I wanted to bring you guys on because you guys, in my mind, you guys are the leading cybersecurity firm in crypto. Um, but I think it'd be helpful. We usually don't do this at the beginning of episodes, but maybe just because you guys are a little more behind the scenes, can you just give an overview of of what Halborn is and what, what you guys do. Sure, absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll make we'll make the quick version. Um, you know, Halborn is a cybersecurity company for the world of Web three. We're all B two B. We focus on major enterprises as well as major blockchain foundations and DeFi protocols. I think people tend to lump every security company in the space into smart contract auditing, and while we do smart contract auditing. What we're really focused on is what we call security advisory. And it's this idea that basically there's so much more that you can pwn besides a smart contract. Uh, and we've seen that time and time again in sort of all the headlines that <laughs> you folks at Blockworks and many others publish about. And so we're really just here to help secure the whole stack. And so we really have a fundamental focus in what is, what's really just called like end-to-end security. So all the Web2 assets, all the on-chain components, all the off-chain components, and while we are, while we've made a name for ourselves in this space in a really short amount of time in sort of professional services and consulting, we have a pretty extensive amount of products that will be dropping throughout the course of next year. Uh, actually, about six to seven of those products uh, throughout the end of the next year. Um, but yeah, I'll stop there. That's a little bit about about us. So it's interesting because I, I wanted to bring you guys on what, after some of the hacks were happening. And I feel like we, we kept punting on this episode. Um, there, there were over $2 billion of hacks this year, right? You had the 100, 100 million, and I'm going to maybe botch some of these, but like 100 million BNB chain, like 600 million in Ronin, like 325 in Wormhole, 100 million in Harmony. I'm not even sure if I'm getting all those correct here, but uh, basically a, t- a, a ton of hacks. Um, but you guys wanted to, when you pinged me about this episode, uh, you wanted to focus, uh, you wanted to kick this off talking about the systemic risk. Um, and you said, we're highly opinionated on this topic, which I'm, I'm just like, I think we should start there because you guys want to go there. Um, but I, I thought you were going to want to talk about look, smart contract risk and, and hacks, but I think you want to go broader and talk about the, the systemic risk in the system. So Rob, can you just let, like, I'm going to tee you up super broad question. Like why, like why, why do you want to talk about this? Why do you guys feel so strongly about this? 
Well, security and risk go hand in hand. And so, you know, when you when you talk to major enterprises, you know, there, there's first departments, compliance and security. Right. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, it's funny, like we were also going <clears> to <throat> pardon. We were going to have a conversation and then all the FTX stuff started to happen. And really, that's just that goes into sort of the core thesis about, you know, there, there's there's so much more at risk, both on chain and off chain. Um, but I'll, you know, S S Steve, what do you, what do you? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I could talk about systemic risk. I think it's Rob and I have long conversations about it and looking at it as a whole, because you can be very prescriptive and go on wrecked and, you know, talk about the, you know, what went wrong with Ronin, what went wrong with poly network and BNB bridge and so on and so on. And they're all, uh, you know, there's, there's specific issues that impact them. And we, and we check for that, but you know, broadly, uh, we care about you know security of the entire space. We want to see it succeed. You know, all, all boats rise with the water here, and we want to. You know, this is the reason why Rob and I got into it is because you know we like what you know crypto and blockchain can do for for technology and for for people, and we want to secure it to build trust. So you do that you know holistically. It's about you know eliminating systemic risk, and there's a lot of it that we see right now. Uh, Rob just mentioned like with what happened with like FTX and you know before we could look at Celsius and we can look at um, Terra and some of these like large impacting things that are just like lowering trust uh, for for everybody that has you know whether you're very uh, you're very knowledgeable of, of it or you're new to it and you know it really kind of hinders the the growth and adoption um, you know by by consumers and. Uh, you know, lowering the trust. And it's something that really, it's hard to secure that because um, a lot of the issues happening with that is, you know, things that go against that really don't have anything to do with the core of, of blockchain and, and what it's trying to solve. You know, it's, uh, you know, people issues, it's auditing issues, it's fraud, but that's, that's systemic risk around like the, um, you know, the, not really the, the technology at all, but some of the large things that, that are happening um, that, I think is in the wrong direction that we see that it, it you know, eventually leads to it is this like search for like super high APY and, you know, that kind of can't sustain itself over time. And, um, you know, we look at Bitcoin. I'm, I'm a big Bitcoin maxi. That's what I got started into it. You know, it's about, uh, you know, sound money and a 21 million cap and a deflationary asset. Yet, uh, you know, a lot of things we're doing with even that is, derivatives and synthetics and wrapped assets and then staked assets uh, of the wrapped assets. And they have like these layers and layers, and layers. It really reminds me of like some of the risks that we were taking on with, uh, you know, 2008, you know, financial crisis of like these um, derivative contracts and, you know, synthetic CDOs and CDOs. It's just eventually when, when the shit hits the fan, sorry, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it, Gets, becomes chaos and uh you know there's systemic risk that just can't be controlled and it you know it eventually happens there i think we've, we've seen that a couple of times right now so i think that's like where we get into it you know, just with with around DeFi and stuff um not even like looking at the code or the vulnerabilities or, you know on that uh, i think that's that's one of the things that we really really um you know look at just from principles on the outside not like picking on any particular protocol yeah, we look at it from the foundational perspective. I mean, we really got into to Bitcoin for all the purposes that most people on this podcast got into it with. And then we, we see a lot of the same mistakes happening right now compared to what, you know, Bitcoin came out of 2008 financial crisis. Now, all of a sudden, we're reinventing this idea of synthetics and cross <laughs> cross chain synthetics and so on. And yeah, it's, it's like like we're not we're not learning any lessons there. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and and like it's it's interesting too because you know DeFi is amazing. Like there's so many things you could do with uh, to solve some problems. Like you know lending and borrowing, for example. You know giving uh, mortgage loans. You could have um, you know people be able to use smart contracts to execute and you know buy real estate much quicker or get a loan much quicker. Uh, do it more transparently. Do it uh, you know using like escrow payments and use use the technology for uh, for improvement and and truly move into like a web uh, a, a web three uh, so to speak, and um, but we get to become obsessed with like this the the value like a token value for something and just like value chasing on things and it's like almost like human greed uh, you know pushing it forward rather than human uh, you know improvement and process improvement and enabling new things I think we should focus on on that much more because um, you know. Cryptocurrency is is one aspect of it, but there's so many things that are just beyond not just currency, you know, uh, you know, the actual technology used for it. So um, I think if we open our or put our minds and perspective on what it can do, then uh, it's going to be a lot brighter future. And of course, we're always there to now look at the code vulnerabilities around that, rather than financial or environmental issues that can happen. So that's like one aspect of systemic risk. Um, and then another one is, uh, you know, coding of the things we could go down that topic again about um, like one one vulnerability is, is found, but everybody's forked the code and we see it. You know, like, let's just say we found a, the MetaMask uh, zero day uh, a while ago, was, you know, published and, and released. Um, how many people had forked MetaMask's code and then just now you have the same vulnerability uh, with with every every solution? There's no diversification with that because of the nature of open source. Um, so that's another systemic risk type. It's not really financial, environmental related, more to like code uh, code issues that uh, you can see where um, it just impacts everybody's no diversification in the technology sometimes, for especially because so, how new it is. Yeah, and so these are the topics that Steve and I and our executive team are talking about all day, every day. And um, <laughs> just by kind of working with like, you know, dozens of leading layer ones and DeFi protocols and enterprises, we get sort of this more macro overview of the whole space. And so from these conversations stems, okay, well, there should be a product there. There should be something that helps solve that. Uh, we've recently, um, you know, we're building out a concept, um, you know, called Serif, which is a blockchain security notary solution, which is supposed to be able to help situations like this. Um, so yeah, and that's a whole nice. topic. So, so, so I think that, I think the, Stephen, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is there, there are two, really two main issues in, the industry in, in the industry, I would say one is on the leverage side of things and one is on the security side of things. Basically, in bear markets, leverage is probably your biggest nightmare because everything un unwinds really, really quickly. So if you even look at like Genesis's loan book three years ago in Q4, they had like 50 million of loans outstanding last year in Q4, they had 50 billion right? A hundred X, a hundred, a hundred X increase. And so that unwinds really, really quickly. Um, and everyone right now is the, if you look at all the podcasts and the news stories and the Twitter threads, it's like, what's the contagion? And really what people are saying is like, okay, like what's the next domino to fall? I would love to actually focus on the other one here, which is in bear markets, leverage is the biggest nightmare in bull markets, uh, security and security and hacks end up being the biggest risk. And it's really obvious why, which is there's so much money going around, uh, everyone's trying to capture market share. They end up moving really, really quickly. And, and, and hacks start happening. And that's why you see a lot of hacks in bull markets, uh, less owned less own bear markets. At least that would be my thesis. So I'm curious, what like one thing when I 
I am not technical. So when I look at all these hacks, it really feels like you're playing whack-a-mole, right? I'm like, oh, this bridge hack happened because of this. This bridge hack happened because of this thing. Okay, so then people learn how to solve that. And then it's like, okay, well then this L1 went down because of this issue from 2018. Okay, boom, we, we solved that. And it's like, it, it really does feel like playing whack-a-mole. So I'm curious, Stephen, what do you, like, when you look at the security landscape today, like what do you think are the biggest issues? What do you, like, how, basically, how do you think things are going today? So, um, yeah, you're right. I, lo- I love the, the bear market and, and bull market uh, thesis because you hit the nail on the head as well, where during bull market, people are in a rush. And it's not just like developers, it's users as well. So I think the... The, the the two biggest issues on the, the first the user side is just awareness um you know people are excited they're they don't know what to trust they just want to like get you know they're, they, they're fomoing and they just like will go and think so it's like social engineering phishing we see so many ico like you know twitter i'm sorry uh you know, telegram like chat rooms of like fake tokens or duplicating that and they lose their money right away and they're not you know doing their research they're you know, getting scammed, losing their private keys. And it's just, you know, user awareness, which is not uh, not dissimilar to like normal security, um, you know, for, for people. Uh, on the developer side, um, which is what we interact with more because we're auditing and, and doing the reviews of, of the code and the technology solutions. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, developers trying to go to market faster, um, you know, rushing through code. And again, that systemic risk too of, uh, reusing something that may be vulnerable and just like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's a ERC 20 contract. Everybody uses it. It should be fine. And then all of a sudden you see like an issue in ERC 20. It's like, oh crap. And now everybody's there now, like, uh, you know, all, everybody's affected for it. Um, and because in relation to, you know, the normal like web two world, it's still new, it's still small. And we're finding, you know, issues that are, very novel and uh, like zero days uh, very often. Um, that's why it seems like whack-a-mole. It's like, okay, this is a new issue we've never seen before. And that's a new issue we've never seen before. And we have these new classification of, of issues that, that have never seen before. Um, security has a thing called like OWASP top 10. And it's like the top web vulnerabilities, like you know, SQL injections. And it's almost like, um, like oh, that's boring now because you just like, <laughs> you see it all the time. And here it's like the top 10 is a, defining brand new things that uh, yeah like we we have like our own categories we use internally that um are are very very novel and we're like oh my god so like here's um integer sanitation for uh you know rust uh, buffers and we're like okay that's how do we classify that i don't know uh, and so um so it's 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 it, it because it's moving so fast uh you ha- you can't take security for an afterthought uh, um, because people's money is like on the line right away. It's everything moves extremely fast, including hacks. Um, and you know, in traditional in traditional security, if you you know find a vulnerability or you fish somebody, you know, you're inside the network and moving around. You finally like after maybe like a week or a month, you extract credit cards from like the the database. Here, you miss one line of code and there's one flaw. Um, some you know very uh, creative uh, hacker finds it, they can immediately extract you know millions of dollars and you know just get away with it. So uh, the stakes are way higher, the timelines way faster, the security issues are way more uh, you know unique and unresearched, and it requires a lot of uh, time and attention from engineers and people like us to you know do that do research and work with developers to uh, 
think about logically how, you know, what could go wrong with this stuff and think like a hacker. And it's not an easy conversation when we're talking with DeFi protocol founders and layer one founders. Um, you know, I, I typically say like, look, like web, like you're coming from the web two world, like web two is move fast, break things. But in web three, it's move fast and lose all of your investor money. So it's really like you need to have that discipline when code equals money and code equals value. It's there's so much more on the line. It's so more vis so much more visceral. And so like we're we're typically the we're typically the bottlenecks with with our with our clients like on purpose. Like, look, like I understand that you're working on this deadline. It's very great that you're working on this deadline. We need this much time in order to make sure that we feel comfortable to be able to say that you should go out and launch. And we're, 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 we're frankly proud of that, like having that ability. It's been sort of our rationale and our mindset that has been able to, you know, that's why we've kind of gained the reputation that we have throughout the last two, three years that we've been out there. You won't find our name on the rec list. I mean, it's like, it's pretty, pretty specific. Actually, we won one time, but <laughs> it, and it wasn't something we missed. It was, um, you know, we we found the the issue. Uh, we you know they just we chose to it. accept the risk. They, yeah, they accepted the risk, yeah. and nobody, you know, most people don't read the report. There's like, oh, hacked. They audited it. That's it. It's like, but we found it. We should be. Yeah, <sighs> it's listed right there for all the black. <laughs> it's literally listed right there for all the black hats to go out and pwn because we found it. The person just yeah you know yeah so, so guys so 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 Stephen just used this word like we audited it and one the the way that I know uh, the, that I understand a lot of the security happens today is smart contract audits um, when I speak with folks who are in your positions and like some of the smartest people I know on the dev side they're like smart contract audits are like a total band aid solution it's long term a horrible solution to, to solving some of these, uh, security risks. I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' take on like, I know one thing you guys do is smart contract audits, but I'm curious if you think that's a long-term sustainable way to keep, to keep DeFi safe. Here's, here's my take on it. Uh, in security, there's, there's different, uh, types of approaches to security. You have really like preventative ones and reactive ones. And with, with a smart contract audit, what you're doing is you're, you're doing preventative, which there's not too many options. Uh, we, we actually, we have a tool uh, I'll talk about in a second. That's, that's the first preventative tool. Um, but an audit is a prevention mechanism to say, okay, we're preparing for it. We want to eliminate the future uh, issues from happening. And, you know, it's a, it's a service. And the, the problem is you're, you're trusting that it was complete and, you know, there, there's no issues and you put it out there on the blockchain. And, uh, you know, after that, it becomes you know, reaction. It's okay. It's getting hacked, you know, pause the contract or, you know, freeze, freeze the, the USDC, you know, you're, you're responding to it um, uh, because it's decentralized. You know, it's very hard to, you know, control it and not be decentralized. That, that's the thing. It's, uh, you know, it's out there, it's transparent, it's open source and it's up, you know, the code is law. They, you know, they, they often say, so, um, that's that's why auditing is kind of is valued and why you know it's a I wouldn't say it's a band aid it's a layer there's defense in depth there you should be doing many things there's not one trick pony for anything not even like normal web two security you should always have layers and layers of security and layers of prevention and monitoring and everything until you feel 
risk has been reduced to an acceptable level. That's what it comes down to with, with anything with, with cybersecurity. Um, and uh, with, with the uniqueness of blockchain being decentralized, it's hard to uh, have secure controls that are preventive and not overstep into centralization. So uh, that's why with Serif, which Rob had mentioned before, that's one of our, our first solutions that we've launched. Uh, it's adding a, a notary, a, you know, a trusted third party that can be somebody else, or it could be Halborn, that will just on-chain in a non-custodial way be able to uh, notarize just critical transactions, like a, a withdrawal of funds or something that's like a huge uh, you know, an upgrade of an admin or something that's, uh, you know, shouldn't happen too often, only under particular conditions to get, a, you know, to get some sort of control on it um, and prevent, uh, you know, edge cases or unexpected results. And so that, that's what we've, we've built. Um, and I think audit, auditing has been, you know, the only thing really to, to, to provide that preventative aspect. Hmm. Well, Stephen, what were the two buckets you said? There's preventative and then there's what's the other bucket? Uh, prevent prevention and uh, reaction, you know, reacting reaction. to a hack. Like, oh, we're getting hacked. Like, let's uh, freeze it or just monitor it or let's, you know, yeah, this rea you're reacting See, to something already happened. Some some security folks in the space have focused on insurance protocols, so things like that, where oh shit, you get hacked and now here's some money back. So that's yeah, that's that's yep. an example of a of a what? reactive solution. I mean, how, how, like when I look at how folks have been reactive today, it's so it's interesting, right? Because governance makes some decision making pretty slow, right? You need like four of seven or five of seven to change something, uh, to change like a base layer of a protocol. That's really, really, really good um, when you're building like infrastructure, but really bad when there's money that needs to be stopped from flowing. So I'm curious, like, how do you advise on the on the reactive side of things to set things up? Yeah, it's that's the that's the balance. So if you know, if you look at it, Compare uh, centralized finance to decentralized finance. The problems with the decentralized finance side that you just pointed out is slow reaction time. You know, it's up to governance to make the choice. What if it's malicious governance <laughs> that's like on there and you have to respond quickly and people don't participate. Maybe there's a flaw. So there's the, the reaction side of it and also the transparency of governance itself, um, you know, can be can be an issue. Uh, and the centralized side is like now you have loss of control, uh, you know, as, as the user, um, and you have uh, it, you trust that the the developers, the owners, or the the custody, uh, you know, the bank, so to speak, is um, going to make the right decisions on your behalf, and you know they're uh, you know not transparent, but you know, you trust they are because of their reputation. So it, it's there's good and bad on both sides. Um, so we sit right in the middle. Uh, with the, our approach, you know, we're objective and, you know, we just, we, we, we tell the truth. We, we are trying to find the balance between CFI and DeFi. Uh, you know, so the tools do that um, to see what makes sense. We're providing a method to react quickly while controlling it, but also doing it in an objective spirit of you know, decentralization and provide uh, transparency, be a uh, kind of a third party witness as so to speak, or a notary. Um, for you know, to help that even governance can make a decision um, on whether to include it. So uh, it, it's a bridge right in the middle to to get to get the benefits of both sides. Hmm. What what is this notary product you guys keep mentioning? Can uh, Rob? Can you? Can you, can <laughs> yeah, you so we saw. Yeah, we saw. We soft launched it last, really like last month. And by soft launch, we're just we're just approaching really our current clients right now. So there are a couple of DeFi protocols that are going to be launching in Jan Feb with it. 
It's called Serif, which is serif.co actually. And we've been we've been building this out for the last uh, probably close to 12 months at this point and you know excited to finally So it's a so when you say it's a notary and I'm so it's basically an, a completely on-chain notary I would assume, right? So it's a you're so you now introduce a third party witness who like in an off-chain world the a notary would uh, give a third party witness to like recognize important events that's what a notary does so like a notary in the on-chain world would be someone who like recognizes the signing of important on-chain actions is that yep yes. think of it as a, a transactional level audit as well like you you're it's on-chain it's not uh it's not a multi-sig signer for example like you said like five of seven signers like what if the on-chain action is to change it from you know five of eight signers and they upgrade you know the amount of signers there Maybe that that actual function can be notarized by a, a trusted third party, and that trusted third party can be um, you know any serif notary. So it's a way to only pick um, in advance, like identify the functions, like an emergency withdrawal. Uh, say that you know we should never you know take all the money out of the vault for whatever reason unless this happens. So that's like a runbook, like an instant response playbook that you you meet the expected uh, logical conditions or, or business reasons. Um, so you say, okay, this is like the, you know, the break glass situation where we would use it. We're going to protect that function. If it, if it's ever executed, then the notary gets alerted. They look at the call data or they look at the reasons why. And if it's meets, you know, okay, this isn't like going to tornado cash. It's not a hack. Um, you know, it's, it's approved on chain. And then the, the, uh, it, it executes, um, you know, just like mm -hmm. it does a normal transaction. And you're just, this would be like, uh, the implementation would just be you add some lines of code to a smart contract. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it, the technical term would be to add a modifier um, to the, you know, just like we have um, only, you know, non-reentrancy and uh, safe math, all of the these like libraries. Right. It's another contract you import and only owner or uh, with Serif, yeah, pretty much. And, and then you, I'm assuming you can define define things that you want to allow or not allow. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Interesting. Very cool. Um, all right. So Rob, what, so I want to, 10 minutes ago, you were like, you mentioned insurance. You're like one of the, one of the ways that folks have been, uh, <laughs> unless there's anything else to add on Sarah, but I've assumed, I'm assuming we'll talk about it throughout the conversation. But uh, on, on the insurance side of things, I feel like one, I feel like we have not, not, I feel like we have not been able to achieve a big insurance company or protocol or fund and different people have tried to do insurance like Nexus Mutual tried to do this. Um, like, can you just tell me how insurance has gone in crypto? And do you, do you see insurance being something that pops like on-chain insurance being something that pops up in the next cycle or it's just too hard? Like what's your thesis on insurance? Uh, I'm, I'm bullish on the concept of insurance. And I think we need a lot more at bats uh, in the market to get to the place where we need to be. Um, it's not ever going to be something that Halborn focuses on because, you know, 99% of the general web two security publicly traded markets is preventative security. We focus on preventative security. Um, but when it comes to, um, you know, like, like we, we, we definitely need to have that as part of the stack of part of a proper defense and depth strategy. Um, but you know, it's not, not really going to be for us. My take on it to, to try because I actually used to work at an insurance company uh, as a security yeah, architect true. a long time ago. Yeah. Um, insurance is, you know, it's all about uh, risk, uh, again, just like security. And actuaries, they calculate you know, what's the premium 
uh, you know, that we should provide to cover, you know, this, this level of risk, whether it's a person or a contract. And the risk is just like way too high right, right now. So the premiums don't make sense. And the liquidity, when back to the systematic impact of things, when something bad happens, it happens big. And even the insurance providers are just like, we can't cover this much loss right now. I just think that it, you know, we haven't been diversified enough to see it. And when, when bad things happen, the, it happens to the insurance, you know, DeFi insurance providers as well. And, you know, so then, all right, well, let's increase the premiums for that. And then now it's like, well, the premium is too high. Now nobody wants to get it anymore. And so it's like, that's why we need, again, the higher level, like the systematic you know, approach, like we need to like eliminate possible loss exposure per incident to make you know, the insurance uh, you know, contain, uh, contain the, the blast radius uh, when it does happen. Yeah. Do you see anyone working on insurance in the right way? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's some good projects. We have. Um, Rob, you're yeah, shaking there's... your head no, and Steven's saying yes. So uh, <laughs> I, I got it. Well, they're wor working on it. Didn't say they're yeah, available. Working on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The concepts, great white paper. Now there's there's some there's some solutions. Yeah. There's like really two approaches for it. One is like holding collateral, you know, aside for it, and then you know paying yeah. for that in reserves. The other one is uh, doing uh, one of our clients, uh, Fair, Fairside, for example. They're taking a different approach of having a way to really open you know, a, a DAO a type of approach where people determine you know what is a fair uh, you know coverage or not uh, based on per incident and. You know, it's the loss. You know, is it fraud? Is it a private key exposure? If this is a rug pull, you know, we, you know, should we provide it or not? And let the people kind of decide on that and what the premium should be, which is a pretty, pretty great, you know, kind of take on it. Yeah. Rob, you agree with that? I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, can we talk about bridges, guys? Because my, I just think that <laughs> Yeah, I just think they need to be talked about because, all right, so flashback a year and a half and we were, people were still asking the question, like, are we going to live in maybe two years ago, but like, are we, are we going to, are we going to live in a monolithic chain world or like a, a multi-chain world? And then one of the things that happened kicking off with like Solana summer and like all these L1, like the L1 wars. And then we got into 2022 and everyone's like, oh, okay. Like confirmed, we will live in a multi-chain world. And everyone's like, great. Like we've got all these cool L1s that work. And then the bridge hack started happening and everyone's like, oh crap. Like there's a, this, like, it's pretty complex to to build a multi-chain world. So can one of you guys that like my five-year-old developer brain, like, can you try to explain, can you explain just like why bridges are so tough to actually implement? Yep. Two reasons. And, and why they're, I'll start with why they're hacked. If you were a hacker, would you go and try to like pickpocket every single person and get a little bit of change? Or would you just go straight to the vault and just take it all? Probably go to the vault, just just take it there, right? So that's the one thing is like the uh, the target the bridges. You know, most often they're implemented either with you know bur you know burning and minting on each side or vaulting and and holding it all in like a master you know vault that you can go and and take all of it out. So that's one a huge target for it uh, for hackers. And why are they hard to implement? It's because uh, these these protocols, you know, they're often in different languages and they don't really talk to each other. There's not a standard to say if you're doing Solana to Ethereum, Solana is written in, in Rust code and EVM, uh, Ethereum is written in EVM and with like Solidity contracts that get compiled. So how do you take those, those two functionalities and connect them securely? 
it's really hard to do in a decentralized way. There's not many like really decentralized, like Thorchain is, is one example. It's the most complicated, but awesome, like bridges I've seen before. Uh, you know, Chad did a great job on, on doing all of this building for it, keeping it decentralized. But now sometimes you'll have, okay, it's, uh, we've, we've connected the two, but there's a master key or like some bookkeeper or vault or guardian, you know, various flavors. And then that has a, a weakness. And now you have a central source of, of, uh, of like, liquidity is just going to be, uh, um, you know, stolen. So, uh, it's just like escalating privileges. You know, we have like poly network is that way and many others. So it's really complicated to implement logic on both sides of the bridge that, uh, are fully functional without creating gaps. It's complexities, enemy security. Yeah. It's a very, uh, common term here and bridges are complex and there's a lot of value targets. So people spend a lot of time researching, you know, how to break them. This is, I'm probably going to embarrass myself with this question here. So. Bear with me for bear with me here. So my, my understanding of a bridge. So let's say I want to move ETH. So I want to move Bitcoin to Avalanche using the Avalanche bridge. I'm going to put Bitcoin into a contract. They're going to turn it into, they're going to basically take that. They're going to give me a one-to-one -one equivalent of like, a, I don't know. Bitcoin. They, yeah. They, I don't know what they call it though. Like a BT, they call it, they have a different name for their Bitcoin. It's a derivative. It's a derivative. Yeah, it's a derivative. Yeah. But, but it's basically a synthetic one of those Bitcoin that now is able to operate on uh, on, on the, on the avalanche network. And I see the issue here, which is like, okay, well, you're leaving a bunch of Bitcoin in this contract. And that's usually like the honeypot. My question, again, this might be really dumb is like, I leave crypto in contracts all the time. Like I leave crypto in a contract on Aave, or like I leave my like ETH in a MetaMask, or I leave my like ETH on compound and that doesn't get hacked. So like, why is this bridge? Why is that smart contract on a bridge such a hackable zone? Because when you leave it there, are you leaving, you know, millions and millions of dollars? I don't know how rich you are, <laughs> but, but that's it. the thing. And it's more simple. Like if you're just sending it to a wallet or, you know, your own contract or your own like ledger or something on chain, it's, you know, transfer, withdrawal, send, you know, pretty simple functionality. Um, with bridges, I'll use my favorite one, the Poly Network one that was, that, that was on there. They, Poly Network was 611 million dollars that um was stolen and it's there's uh there, there's so many functions in that to make it work and to you know to mint the the, the tokens uh, to update the the bridge admins or bookkeepers uh to send transactions with commands it'll it'll take a message and parse the message out and and you know say okay this is, uh, I don't speak your language, Solana, so I'm going to send you like a, a text string, parse it, and when it arrives on the other side, um, it, it'll be in a format that you know how to process. Uh, so that's really like, there's so many different like variations that, uh, that people have tried. And, you know, there's always unexpected flaws with that. You know, this one happened to be, um, you know, a hash collision. So, you know, the same function uh, that exists in one place collided with another one, somebody figured it out and they, you know, pretty much escalated their privileges to become the bridge themselves, uh, which was novel, never seen before. So it's just new technology, new vulnerabilities, uh, uh, and, you know, high value at stake. There's, uh, it's just, I, I will also say too, like, we're all used to working very fast in this space. Um, Aave has been around for what, three, four years now, maybe a little bit longer. 
Um, there's this concept called, a, you know, uh, security through obscurity. Like, like ju just because it hasn't been hacked yet doesn't mean that it's capable of being hacked in the future. There, there still needs to be more time and, and, and so on put into this. So, I mean, I mean, look, like you say that your, you know, your funds are safe in Aave. I mean, I wouldn't call it a hack, but it looks like someone exploited one of the, you know, situate, you know, one of the, the vaults or so on on Aave and was able to take out what, like a hundred, like maybe like, maybe like 500 K or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, there's still like, we're still in the pioneering stages of all this. And when code equals money and when you know, your, your money is theoretically locked up in these contracts, they're only as, you know, the other thing that we say is like, you're only as strong as your weakest line of code. So all it takes is one upgrade and one, and one systematic upgrade, like an upgrade on Aave, but then like that affects this other thing systematically that no one else has thought about. That's actually the, you know, that, that once again, going, going full circle goes to the concept of systematic risk that actually is involved with having your money on Aave. And here, and here's another thing too, um, you know, to, to touch on your example of like having a, you know, a Bitcoin and then a, like a wrapped version or synthetic version of that. So when you do this, um, the only way to redeem it or, you know, you're essentially making it an IOU saying like, I'm going to use this representation of, of this here. You have, you know, essentially double the amount in two environments. Just you can't do something with, with one on one side. Uh, if something happens to that bridge and you can't ch you know, cash in your IOU, like then what, you know, you're stuck with a synthetic that's like, you know, worthless. And on the other side, it's just locked in the, in the blockchain or, or, or stolen. And now it's, it's either you have double money or you have nothing. <laughs> so that, that's where like the, the, the synthetic part of, of the, the world is just very, very um, risky. And uh, this, we, we saw this again, you know, talked about earlier, the, you know, like the, the financial crisis, uh, back then, you had complex financial models like you know, mortgage-backed securities and CDOs, and you know synthetic assets like swaps and and, and uh, options contracts. And you had leverage. You had volatile collateral with like you know loans uh, that were being you know to high-risk people. And you know in DeFi, you see that again. We have complicated um, financial models. You know with uh, stake staking and and you know APY. You have synthetic assets like wrapped assets and uh, you know, liquid staking assets, you have leverage, like even more ridiculous leverage than we've seen and way like higher APY expectations on that. And when it all like unwinds, when there's, you know, when there's an issue that all that over leverage and people try to get out through the bridge or redeem it, uh, it just can lock up. You have, you have, uh, you know, well, the, everybody's trying to rush for exit door at the same time. And it's like, you know, the window's like that small. Yeah, and this is all. I mean, this has all happened in recent memory. I mean, with the FTX stuff, what was it? Was it? Uh, please don't quote me here, but I believe it's something like Solet Bitcoin or like something on the Bitcoin derivative on Solana. Um, you know, completely depegged and was completely like you know really mean, really worthless. But then also when the wormhole hack happened, none of the Ethereum derivatives on none of the synthetic Ethereum that was sitting on the Solana blockchain was backed by anything in that moment as well. So even in recent memory, in recent history, we see pretty large scale versions of it that the industry then comes in, like it's then the centralized world that has to come in and like, all right, no, actually here's all the Ethereum back. It's actually worth something now. 
Yeah, and it's just the 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 amount of liquidity is uh, is is, you know small in comparison to things like I'm not uh, so allegedly I don't know for sure nobody knows for sure really like uh, gold for example trading gold like you know if you trade gold like GLD or something on the stock market and yeah you're supposed to own gold but you don't really own the gold and if everybody at once said I want my real gold (laughs) I'm cashing in my GLD you know IOU. Is there enough gold in Fort Knox to like you know give that to everybody, or is there more? And can they control price with that? You know, by making I don't it, you know speculation. You never know, but um, it's the same thing as doing it. Is like you're you're hoping that there's enough you know collateral will available to provide in times of crisis, and that's yeah. what leads to the cost. All right, so let me get back, let me get back to this Poly Network hack actually, because I think it's um. So my understanding of it was you had the the ETH cross chain these like two really high performance smart or I think you had the two two smart contracts one was like ETH cross chain manager and ETH cross chain data the ETH cross chain manager was an owner of ETH cross chain data and therefore could execute these privileged functions inside of the ETH cross chain data I think I'm getting that right and then there was another issue which was um there's this field is like the method field in the method, code yeah. Yeah, uh, could basically it was it was set as um, user defined, so therefore it could be set at will. Um, yep, user input. Yeah, user input. Of, it's just like web applications. If uh, when you provide uh, or take in user input, you have to make sure it's sanitized and you know, is not for like code injection is a big thing in web two hacking or SQL injection. You're inserting, you know, user is inputting SQL code where it shouldn't be to control the inside of the of the the application that's that's what that method was there um the the user input method uh what happened was there was ethereum does um something called like hashing and it'll it'll hash uh a, a function call so what it does it just takes a small amount of data and they um the the hacker was able to find a collision um with that input to point it yeah uh, to uh to that function that should have not been able to be executed or accessed and that's what that um it was put con uh i think put put epoch con pub bytes or whatever that was the name which, of then, it, which then demands the attacker's public key to be registered as the keepers and that's right so that yep. okay basically what i'm trying to get at here is less of like how did this poly network hack happen but when i see this i'm like I, again, it just feels like there's whack-a-mole and like one, so one thing that's really cool is that DeFi has gone like, okay, all these CFI platforms are down and everyone's like, you know, like the, you know, the narrative and even I say, this is like, well, look what operated really well is like, is DeFi went really well. Um, and on the leverage side of things, DeFi has got like, there are two, like on the leverage side of things on the, on the capital markets front, DeFi has gone really well. I know Rob, you were mentioning Ave, but like that's, pretty minuscule problem that yeah, all they had, I'd say, in yep. comparison to some of these C5 platforms like the BlockFi's and Celsius's um, of the world. But when I read about like Poly and what happened here, I'm like, man, there are just like an infinite number of ways that this stuff could go wrong. So yes, hypothetically, I could move all of my capital from, if I'm a regular user from like BlockFi to Aave, but there is no possible way if I'm a user to make sure that this public key injection of code doesn't happen. I'm I, so I don't know. Just like 
that's what we're here for like trying to yeah, find yeah, those, like edge say. cases you know it's like <laughs> yeah. there it's such new technology and there's so many ways of doing it like we haven't found like the best practice like the, the best bridge standard you know and, for and there and there needs to there there needs to be a substantial so so look, like web 2 security regular cybersecurity just regular run of the mill cybersecurity there are over 4 million unfilled positions around the world there is a drastic need for fantastic and just general cybersecurity practitioners in web 3 and in web 2 so like 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 you have the bull market moment of everyone running fast but then the only real security practitioners are like checking on their smart contracts and that's it Whereas what we just got done talking about is way more complex than one smart contract audit is going to get you. So in when you go public, when you're a public company and when you become public, you have to go through all these like, you have to basically go through all of these um, checks. So like you have to get, you have to register with the SEC. Like you have to, you now have a security, you have to get audited. You have to report quarterly financials. You have earnings. You have to, you have an S1 when you go public, like all, all that kind of stuff, right? Do you think that we live end up living in a world where, once your TVL, I know TVL is a bad metric, but like once your TVL reaches 100 million, you have to basically like, you have to do a certain set of things. Or do you think this will basically be completely user defined where if I'm, so like Ave and Compound are competing, Ave has all these basically, Ave works with Halborn, Ave uses Serif, like all these things, then like the user's just gonna end up picking Ave. How, how do you think this ends up looking? Um, my personal opinion of the matter is that the three of us right now are Americans and I have this, I, I keep noticing that there's this huge tendency of us Americans to just think about, you know, America centric. Um, and when, when you have a DeFi protocol that touches every aspect of the world, like it's going to be very, very, you know, it is going to be a game of whack-a-mole of like all, all of the different jurisdictions are going to have their different kind of regulations that they start throwing into the mix. It's really just going to be on us as a community to kind of come together and create standards. And if there is some sort of standardization, and frankly, like that tends to happen in the form of uh, the market just working its way out. And like, we're still very, you know, it's like, we're very early. This is still early days in general. And over the next decade, hopefully the community has enough bruises on its face to realize that, hey, we should probably be asking this of a DeFi protocol. We should probably be asking this. And the more that we can come together to create standards together, the less the regulators are going to be able to kind of do, do guesswork like that. Um, now, that being said, as an American, I do actually hope that regulators can kind of get their heads around some of this and pass some form of good regulation. That being said, I'm extremely reluctant. Like, you know, Steve and I, you know, we all deal with it all the time. Like, they're just trying to wrap their heads around Bitcoin still. So it's it's very, it's very, it's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. I think um, that the, the, yeah, the standards and regulations and, and policies, you know, you think of those three different things. I think standards is going to be the best thing for code security uh, in like a global uh, perspective where, you know, you, you have IEE right now, they make standards, like everybody you know, adopted, you know, a certain, um, you know, the way a 20 volt plug works or like the UPC barcode that, you know, Bluetooth versus HD DVD, like which one becomes like the most used and people kind of gravitate towards. Uh, so we could build 
DeFi standards and you know, like OpenZeppelin is a great company that made some like smart contract standards that are used as templates and, and, and built out. And they've been vetted and they've been, you know, used and, and trusted and tested. Uh, you know, there could always be risks in that as well as the future. But uh, when we when we have standard approach to security from that whole defense in depth again, from the the code standards of the language, the proper use, the uh, the role based access controls, the way to separate, you know, maybe value at risk from, you know, user inputs and uh, all the way out to proper, uh, you know, proper distribution of the environment. So controls around the, uh, the DeFi um, composability. So, you know, with, with Aave, like lending and borrowing, it's, you know, what are they relying on? Are they distributing like their Oracle's price feeds uh, to be diverse enough so it can't be controlled and manipulated by, you know, one? It's, that's, those are standard, you know, uh, kind of like thought patterns and, and code patterns and practices that are still kind of being defined because we're, we're in the you know, very beginning stages of this development. You guys see a bunch of different languages and ecosystems. Um, what is your take on Solidity versus other languages? I think it's 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 uh oh yeah I think it's it's been successful because it's the community it's very uh, easy to to understand code there's tons of tools to support it and it's just grown because of like the the tools and available to to learn and and to uh, adopt it. Rob, were you going to say that? Uh, just ultimately that you know we kind of we we admittedly so are typically reactive in that sense we let the market sort of decide what uh you know what 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 smart contract language you're coding is really taking off. Uh, but for us, we, we saw, you know, we saw Rust really starting to take over a lot of the sort of emerging protocols as well. Um, and so, I mean, without a doubt, all the metrics will show you that Solidity is still kind of here to stay and king now. Um, but there's no reason why in the near future that, you know, it couldn't be Rust or, you know, fun, and, fu and funny enough, uh, you know, Steve and I are tracking like, governments around the world with like their CBDC initiatives. And we're seeing that a lot of that's being built in C++. So we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of, we'll um, but we're, but we're pretty clear on like, we want to be able to still specialize. And so there are plenty of protocols and languages that like the entity of Halborn like won't touch. And like, so we, we just, we just are like really important. It's really important that we just focus. And, and focus on what we're best at. Yeah, and like Ethereum, like Solidity took off because you can do uh, EVM uh, in many different languages. You know, there's Viper, there's Yule, there's FE. You know, Solidity just happens to be the one that people gravitated towards because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the robust, um, you know, tool set to do it. And, and it, it's hard to get started with development for this. Um, you know, when, you, when you're a coder you're coming in, even if you're, you know, technical, you go research things and you, you know, kind of start using, you know, things like Remix and Brownie and so on and so on. Um, it's, it's tough to get going, uh, but once you, you learn it, you don't, you, you don't want to let go. You want to keep on doing that because you're good at it and you understand it. So I think that's just the one that's been kind of like led the race and, and is, is pretty here to stay for, for EVM. Um, we actually we have Zion um, is an operating system that Halborn made to kind of solve that problem too, like get people started with blockchain. Uh, it's a free operating system that we, you know, we give it to our own employees to you know get ramped up pretty quick. It has all the tools, all the frameworks for Rust and for GoLang and, and Solidity and 
uh, you know, things to like out of the box. You don't have to worry about like figuring it out and, you know, making the libraries work together. So Zion, Z-I-I-O-N, it's like a, a, a Kali Linux for those security testers out there. Um, it's a great, great, I use it every day. We, we released an episode with um, Anatoly and uh, Ben Sprango at, at, uh, at Solana last week. Um, and obviously they've had a ton of success not building on uh, uh, with Solidity and with Rust and stuff like that. Do you think that there's too much momentum though behind Solidity and too much, like basically there's two approaches. And like, if you look at the two L1s that had really, really big 2021s, it was Solana and Avalanche. And they took two really different approaches, right? Which approach do you think, like when we look back in five years, I, I'm assuming you work with either one or both of them. So I, I'm not sure how much you can say, but like when you when we look back in five years, who do you think we will come out as having taken the better approach? I, I'll i say, I think, you know, with blockchain in general, there's not, you don't, you don't need to have only like one chain to rule them all. There's a lot of purposes that you know, one chain can be better than the other. Like Solana is extremely fast. It uses only Rust and it doesn't have smart contracts. It has programs. Everything is compiled and is you know lives on chain there's not two layers like there's no consensus layer and contract layer it's all together in one and it's extremely fast and you know, rust is a fast language because you know you compile it and then you deploy it that's not how uh you know solidity is done usually it's, it's bytecode and avalanche has c chain and p chain and they have different things too so long as one chain so you if you want something fast maybe for um let's just say like decentralized streaming of, vi of video and you need high throughput. Okay. Solana is a great, you know, chain for that. If you want to do something for, all right, I want to use a, a NFT marketplace. I want to like interact my front end app with it. Easy to uh, have new contract, you know, maybe avalanche is, is better for that too, because you can use P chain and C chain uh, for it. So I think there's, there's a multi-purpose multi-chain world. Uh, you know, Bitcoin, yeah. it has its own unique property of one trick pony transfer and store value. Uh, so I think they, they, they both have a lot of potential. Uh, we do work with both and, uh, you know, they're, you know, different tools for different jobs. I want to get, I want to get both your guys' take on this next question. There's a big, uh, there's a big conversation right now happening, which is what's the best way to scale. And I think the three ways that people are talking about would be rollups, um, rollups on ETH. Second way would be bridges between different L1s. Like we have a couple different L1s in the future and there are bridges between the different ecosystems. And then, uh, and then the next way would be IBC and like app chains and what's going on with Cosmos. And those are kind of the three places that like people are planting their flag. Maybe it's not like, how do we scale, but just like three different ways that this industry grows. Um, Rob, can I, throw, can I throw this one to you first of just like, when you think about those three ways to grow the industry, which, which one seems like the best option these days? Uh, at this moment, I mean, we, we just got done talking about bridges and how, how absolutely frightened we are as security practitioners, uh, with them. Um, so the systemic risk involved with bridges, um, I think could actually lead to, um, more people losing money and therefore walking away from web three in total. So I don't think that interchain you know, like multi-chain or cross-chain bridges are going to be the way that we scale. Um, in general, scaling solutions will help, but also fundamentally creating layer ones from the ground up that interact with one another and fundamentally creating, um, you know, new protocols that interact with one another. 
uh, will inevitably succeed. And that is why I'm certainly bullish on everything IBC and Cosmos uh, that I keep on seeing. Um, and, and there's a lot of choice there as well. So, you know, you can choose whether or not you implement Cosmosm smart contracts within your, you know, IBC chain and so on. Um, but also like, you know, because of what we were just talking about with how Ethereum has really taken over, you know, this, this, this whole idea of decentralized applications right now, this is why people keep on talking about, uh, you know, layer two scaling solutions. And now we're starting to hear about layer three scaling solutions and, and so on. And I, I think it's going to keep getting meta in that sense. But I also think that due to like just Moore's law, I, I think we're in for a blockchain disruption in the next five years. I think there's something that isn't out yet that no one's talking about yet. That's probably just going to supersede all this and take take the world by storm. It's basically what I'm hoping for at this point. Too, so, so. Say more. So, so what you mean by that? New uh, a new technology that's not one of those three uh, yeah. you know, that can solve it in a better way for yeah. uh, you know speed scalability. Yeah, it's it's there. You know, you look at the trifecta. Uh, I I really like you know Vitalik talked about that blockchain trifecta. The tri the you know, tri trilemma trifecta. It's the uh, scalability, centralization, and security. You know, you kind of like trade trade one versus the other depending on you know, where where you fall with it. Um, my, my take, um, you know, on the, those three solutions, uh, I agree with Rob, the bridge is probably like my least favorite. I mean, I, I say that, uh, you know, I like them because they, they do create a lot of business for Halborn, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so they're great in that, that sense. Um, but as far as like usability, I like, I really like, um, knowledge, uh, zero knowledge proofs and zero knowledge rollups and optimistic rollups. I think like when you, if you find a way to, uh, use like like you know lightning for Bitcoin or a, a layer two that can take the off chain off chain computational uh, you know resources and do it in a in a decentralized secure way to you know make validity proofs you you can scale really well if that's done and because it's using cryptography which is the whole point of you know crypto is you know this is the crypto part <laughs> um so you know cryptographic assurance I think is always the most sound for everything is why I fell in love with Bitcoin in the beginning. Uh, but you know, application uh, specific blockchains like IP, IBC and what they're doing, you know, that's like a, it's a different approach. They're they're essentially doing it at layer one the way Ethereum does smart contract composability. You're making uh, composable application specific like you know layers in the blockchain stack. You know, so each part can be forked and improved, and each part can do it without losing the compatibility. Uh, so. You know, every it's it's microservices in a way for blockchains and like you're taking you're adding the simplicity, which is great for security. You know, this blockchain does only this. You're not trying to like, you know, morph it into something more complicated to like interact and force interaction like a, like a bridge. You're just saying, OK, you do this, you do this. And that's great. Now, if there's something wrong with that, it's you're containing the blast radius again. So you're doing this microservices mm -hmm. way of it. I think if you want to go the cryptographic route, zero knowledge, really like that tech. Uh, we see tons of emergence there. Uh, Application-specific blockchain, it's great, but the speed size of it, I mean, the, the whole reason why uh, they're, they're, they're trying to do layer two anyways is just like the execution speed, right? You know, imagine playing a game like uh, on Ethereum without layer two. It's like swing your sword, transaction mining, and it's like, 
okay, uh, and I have to pay like five dollars every time I make an action. You need like a, a, a layer two. You need like a, the Ronin network or right, something right. to do that. Yeah. So wait, so so you guys are both, you guys both think that something is coming in five years and a new blockchain or something five years from now that will be better than ETH, Solana, Avalanche, Cosmos, all that stuff. Yeah, you you both agree. Better at what? <laughs> Um, <laughs> just uh, I mean is more I think, is more secure at fit solves the trilemma better than anyone else has been able to I think that yes. um, yeah I think that I think there will be either an evolution of something that exists now into you know like ethereum just went to proof of stake you know for whatever whether you view that as an improvement or not an improvement um, but you know they are changing so it could be one of the existing ones that have uh, emerged and uh, been uh, morphed into something more, uh, much better and improved. Yeah. Can I, I don't know if you guys can answer this. And this is one, obviously, I don't even have to say this at this point, but this is not financial advice. How do you, if you, like, that's a thesis I haven't really heard many other folks say on the show. Usually people are like, oh, I love Cosmos. Or like, oh, like I'm all in on ETH. Like, how do you guys allocate your personal capital if the thesis is that what the space currently looks like today, like, none of these are going to be the long-term solutions personal capital in crypto yes. uh I, I like bitcoin so <laughs> and monero that's, that's um, what happens when you see uh too much uh too many hacks and I, I was i was gonna say when you sit in our seats and you see kind of like the really ugly version of everything and just really like how risky things are and then there's like the war rooms that we get pulled into that no one else ever like really hears about or knows about where learn about this that's why like on a personal level and even like Halborn treasury related like like we don't we don't touch anything like we are exceptionally risk averse in that sense but you know on a personal level steve and i are certainly both bitcoin maxis in that sense uh from, from, yeah. were you yeah, always yeah. like that or did did working closely in DeFi <laughs> make you make you not want to touch DeFi? I, I interact with it a bunch. I'm a big NFT collector with Ethereum and, you know, I interact with DeFi plenty, but I'm not going to say that it's like a sizable amount of my, uh, you know, my personal, you know, savings. Yeah. I oh, know. I, I personally, I am, you know, there's, there's like some, some token utility thing. If there's like a real use for it, I think yeah. I'll be, I'll be bullish on it. But I, what I'm not bullish on is when you do anything that goes against the yeah, like the principles of why blockchain exists, like self-custody, self-access. Like I, I, I personally don't like to put it into like a central like entities. Like what's, what's the point of even doing it? You know, DeFi, if you take the D out. Yeah. But I also take it. For, so that's, that's definitely that perspective. And then again, not financial advice, but like my, my personal perspective on investing in the space will always be like, is there a real business model? Is there a real way for this thing to actually make money? And if it's just a speculative asset pump, it's like, there's no way I'm touching it. So you guys don't own much ETH? You're all in on Bitcoin? Changes a lot. No, I say all in. You know, I get comic books too. I got gold, real gold, like a dragon. Steve and I are very, <laughs> very diversified. But as far as, as far as Halborn is concerned, we don't touch any of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, we don't have a token I, I, yourself either. I would say yeah. there's a there's DeFi and then there's like tier one DeFi, which is like Maker, Ave, Compound, Uniswap, like the the DeFi from like the 2016, 2017 era. Do you think like will you touch the like if you want to get a loan on your ETH or something, and you don't want to sell your ETH, like will you touch an Ave or Compound or like if you want to 
trade? Like, will you touch Uniswap or, or you're staying away? We, uh, we, we do some, some, I, I like Uniswap. I think it's probably the best smart contract in DeFi that, that when it changed the game for, for doing things for, for swapping. But, um, yeah, it depends on like, are you investing in, in, yeah. uh, the idea, the hype, the protocol, um, you know, do you believe in it? I, th- I think there's a lot of great, uh, like your Robin. I'm not saying, I'm not saying investing. I'm not saying like go buying Aave's token yeah. or something. I'm oh, more yeah, just yeah. saying like, will you go take a loan? Like, will you like, let's say, let's say you have a hundred. I like, I would liquidate more on Aave. Like I would be the, the liquidator yeah. if I want to do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we, we, we interact. I mean, let, let me be clear. Yeah. We both, Steve and I personally, as well as Halborn, we do interact with Ethereum, DeFi, Solana DeFi on a constant basis, you know, because sometimes we're paid in like a USDC, you know, something or sometimes we'll get paid in a token something and we'll go and we'll swap it um, for sure. Um, But, you know, so we're we're interacting We're it's important that we are users of the technology that we're that we're uh, trying to understand, you know, the best way to break something is to understand how to build it and take it apart. Right. So we we do that pretty consistent consistently. so, so yeah, cool. I, I used to like that for me, I was doing a lot of like liquidity providing, like, you know, putting it in pool pairs and pools and you right, swap right, right. and doing that. I think that's uh, one of the, this, the more safer ways with the, you know, exposing yourself to opportunity and, you know, liquidity mining, uh, you know, I don't know that some of that can be, it's like, what is uh, your, how many layers deep are you in access to your money? That's like, what always scares me is like, if it yeah. takes more than like four transactions to recover the funds then okay i'm in too deep <laughs> we were, we were yeah. doing I was, I was doing some real degen stuff in 2021 it was like it'd go like on this avalanche protocol and it was like all right you got to move it here to here here to here bridge back over to eth i'm like oh my god it's taking me like six days now yeah yeah that that's yeah. the scary part of it all and it's like you know when you look at and when you know what, what you know about security and you look at how many layers like if you're doing uh, investment on a like a cross chain liquid staking something and you know it's like okay i have my eth and then i put the eth in a contract and it mints a wrapped eth and i take the wrapped eth and i put it in a bridge vault and that'll make a uh wrapped soul eth on one side and then i take that and i put it in a DeFi protocol to uh do some yield farming to on like whatever like you know new DeFi thing it's like all right now i'm like I'm six contract vulnerabilities, uh, possibilities and, and a bridge between like my, my core redeemable asset now, you know? So it's like, that's, that's pretty d- dangerous. You lined me up nicely, Stephen, for the last topic I want to talk about, which is liquid staking. Um, <laughs> I would have to assume you guys do not, are not fans of liquid staking based on everything that we've <laughs> talked about, but if I'm right about that, can Stephen, tell me about your thoughts on liquid staking. Let's start there. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I I believe in you know like like the true value of things, and you're when you do liquid staking, you're essentially like kind of cheating away, right? You have what is proof of stake uh, supposed to be? It's like you you lock your value in the network to uh, help consensus, and that's your sacrifice for the network. Is like I will you know put this in here and I'll stake it and I won't take it out. And that's going to like what what makes me validate the network, just like Bitcoin is like you're providing your electricity power. When you do liquid staking, you're like you're bypassing that, you know, you're that sacrifice doesn't exist anymore. You're like, OK, well, I'll put it there. But hey, hey guess what? I'll still go, you know, use this, you know, synthetic asset to do whatever I want with it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of liquid staking. 
I think that it creates when it happens for too long, for too much, it creates issues like we've seen with uh, just recently with some some platforms. Rob, what do you think? I have some less. Yeah, I mean, Steve Steve puts it way more eloquently than I would. Uh, but you know, it's 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 liquid staking is kind of a grift in that sense. Like it's really like not supposed to be the case that you're allowed to do that now because it's code and because any of us have access to write some lines of code and create a synthetic version of this asset that's staked um you know that capability will always be there uh but it's you know it's a grift you're not supposed to be able to do that so do you, do you put liquid do you put um there are like two camps of liquid staking there's like the i would say like the more centralized providers of liquid staking and then there's like the more decentralized providers of liquid staking. Do you put both of those in the same bucket? Like you don't like Lido, for example. Se centralized liquid staking would be, do you trust the the people to be honest with you? Or is it going to be, uh, you know, what, what we're witnessing now with like, at, you know, SFX. Um, if they're true to like their, Redemption. They'll say, "Hey, you're liquid staking. Your 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 uh, you know ETH is is safe with us. It's one to one. We're not going to do anything with it." And then they start doing a bunch of stuff with it. <laughs> that's that's the risk of centralized. I think that's you know it can be an issue, and also the amount of liquidity too, because you can do this in like traditional financial markets. Is like have it's, uh, yeah, your, it's all yeah, it's all they yeah. do, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have your money in in the bank, and then take a line of credit against the cash that you have in the bank to use for things, and you have like a margin ratio. You have like a certain thing, and and that's you know people do that a lot. I, I I do that, and you but you're trusting in the large uh, you know liquidity um, of you know the U.S. dollar or whatever like you know, uh, you know fiat, um, and it's audited and regulated a lot more, and it happens a lot slower. You know, and it's not uh, the, the vulnerabilities are not within the code. The vulnerabilities come within the economy or government policy. So it's a bit. There's, it's a bit more nuanced and I would say like it's safer. Um, so with, uh, you know, if you can put controls around liquid staking uh, to make it, you know, more safe, I would say, you know, dare I say like regulate a little bit more, uh, you know, but then you're not like decentralized anymore. So yeah. I think just we have seen like the uh, very bad use of um, non-regulation uh, just here recently with us uh, with the SFX coming here. So uh, that's what gets you in trouble. Yeah. Anything else that we missed, guys? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I can talk all night if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope, Stephen, I hope people are watching on YouTube so they can see your insane setup. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. If you guys are watching here, this is, the, yeah, this is how I diversify my investment. In Stephen, music. how did you, uh, yeah. you were yeah. in a, you were a guitarist in a band, right? And then you became this like, CTO of a cybersecurity company was that were you a were you a were those did those happen at the same time or you were a uh, like how did you learn how to code like this when you were also a guitarist in a band I think it's like the one side of the brain you know music to me I listen to music I I enjoy it but it's like a math problem in a way I listen to like crazy time signatures and I like complicated stuff and I look at audio uh, you know perspective so engineering you know I actually I play guitar but um, I like producing. I like cre creating music is more uh, like, you know, recording and uh, making making songs from it. Uh, and I think that 
it's still in front of a computer doing uh, doing stuff with an application comes down to it. Um, but how I got into it was, uh, yeah, just um, I suck at sports and I wanted to play guitar to be cool in elementary school. <laughs> There you go. It's about as good of a reason as any. (laughs) Steve's being super humble. All right. So he used to be signed to Capitol Records. He's opened up for a ton of major bands like Metallica and Bon Jovi. He's written songs for Britney Spears. He's written songs for Lil Wayne. And while he was doing that, he decided to... There's the record. 500,000. Oh, there's... You wrote that Britney Spears song? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 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 Radar Truset. And then that's my old band... uh, Five million streams. Wow. Actually, I have nine, so I'm waiting to get the double platinum. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Steve and I, that's why we got along so well is uh, I'm a way less accomplished musician. And like we just look at starting, you know, we just look at building out the Halborn, like building like the best rock band or the best, uh, you know, album possible. It's creative all day, every day. We have new challenges every day. And it's it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Working on a project right now, uh, you know, called Dead Code. Ha- haven't released things yet, but the long-term thing is to to make it an immersive, uh, kind of Web three integrated uh, music project. So I'll leave it at that for now. There we go. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to see. Anyways, uh, Stephen and Rob, this was awesome. I, I appreciate you guys coming on. I know uh, Santi, who wasn't able to, to join this night, talk about security side of things all the time, and we're like, if only we could have some security experts on the show. So this was it. Uh, super helpful. I learned a ton and yeah, appreciate you guys coming on. Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Of course, guys.